0: We just thank you for this evening. We thank you for the opportunity to open your word. We thank you for each person that's here and the fellowship that we had this afternoon with the the food and just with each other. And we just thank you for all that you've done. Ask for your guidance and leading as we look at this psalm in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 86. A prayer of David. Bow down your ear, O Lord. Hear me, for I am poor and needy. Preserve my soul, for I am holy. O you, my God, save your servant with that trusts in you. Be merciful unto me, O Lord, for I cry unto you daily. Rejoice the soul of your servant, for, you, for unto you, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. For you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive and plenteous in mercy unto all them that call upon you. Give ear, O Lord, unto, your, unto my prayer, and attend to my voice of my supplications. In the day of my trouble, when I call upon you, you will answer me. Among the gods there is none like unto you, O Lord, neither are there any works like unto your works. All nations whom you have made shall come and worship you before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. For you are great and do wondrous things. You are God alone. Teach me your way, O Lord, and I will walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. I will praise you, O Lord, my God, with all my heart, and I will glorify your name forever. For great is your mercy toward me, and you have delivered my soul from the lowest hell. O God, the proud are risen against me, and the assemblies of violent men have sought after my soul, and have not set you before them, but you, O oh Lord, are full of compassion, gracious, long-suffering, and plenteous in mercy and truth. O oh, turn unto me and have mercy upon me. Give your, give your strength unto your servant, and have the son of your, of your handmaid. Show me a token of good that they which hate me may see it and be ashamed, because you, Lord, have helped me and comforted me verse 1 a prayer of David bow down your ear O Lord hear me for I am poor and needy when we think about God and and Paul's asking him bow down your ear listen to me God have you been in a place before where you're saying to God listen to me God I need help Yes. I need the help and God is saying just what I wanted to wait for is for you to ask for that ask for me to hear how many times do we pray maybe out of obligation and we're not even meaning it, we just, we just do it? Uh, I've got a, a pastor that, has, that we go to the pastor's meetings and he likes to say the Lord's Prayer. And I have trouble saying the Lord's Prayer, you know, our Father who art in heaven. You know, to me it's just rote words and I have trouble with, with that as a way of worshiping God. But then I think about the words, and yes, yes words mean a lot. Yeah. If you're thinking about the words, yeah. it is. That is true. I always say that prayer when I fly. When you what? When I'm sitting in the flight before hang-off, I always say the word Prayer. Yeah. <laughs> but to me, but to me, they're just word. You know, to me, it, it's just rote memorization, and I don't, and I don't like it. Now I know there are people out there that when they say that prayer. It means everything to them. Uh, I look at it and say, okay, here's the template for prayer. You know, praise God. You know, just as we put on our little prayer list, you know, acts, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. And, you know, these are all parts of learning to pray. But what I learned about the Lord's Prayer is I'm learning the words, and that's why I like it. Mm -hmm. Before I used to just say it, you know, but now I know the words, what they mean. It's the same thing we do even with music. How many times do we worship? Do we worship and we sing the songs without thinking about what they mean? Especially if we know them real well, they're just you know we might even like the song, but we're no longer thinking about the words. We're just singing them, and it's you know just uh, the song, just as I am. That some people know so well that they don't even think about the words, and they're very beautiful words. And that's one of the reasons sometimes I'll ask when we're singing the songs, did you ever think about this particular phrase in this song? Because I have to watch out too because I've been singing especially the hymns for all of my life and I know most of the hymns pretty well. But even a lot of the choruses, I know these songs really well. I could, They come on in the radio and I can sing them. I can sing them in my sleep. <laughs> How much do things mean to us and we could be memorizing things that are very special and not meaning anything. When I worked at College Park with the Iwana group, which is a kids group where they basically memorize verses, I got to work with the youth and they would, they would come in and they'd rattle these verses off so fast that I knew they hadn't thought about the verse at all. And I used to aggravate them because, okay, you memorize this verse, what does it mean? And they'd go, what? Nobody's ever asked us that. I'm going, There's no sense in memorizing these verses if they don't mean something to you so they got to the place where they had to learn what the verse yeah. meant because i was i was listening to them and they were doing they were doing a john 3:16. for god so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever of believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life and i would go what does that mean you know right. and, and that's the way they were telling me these verses you know they, they were telling me so fast like they were afraid they were going to forget it between yeah, the so time they had looked at the book and the time they talked to me and I would ask, what does it mean? And because I wanted them to have a reality of the verse. It's one thing. You could memorize the whole Bible, but if it doesn't mean anything to you, you've wasted your time. And so here he's saying, God, hear me. I need you. Do we really feel that way when we go before God and we pray? Yes. Yeah. That we need him for whatever it is. Well, yeah, I do. Oh, yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. So... Because we're told, pray without ceasing. Give in everything, give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. And we need to have that attitude that we need him. Otherwise, we're not going to pray without ceasing. I pray continuously through the day, not just at one specific part. And that's good. That's the way it's supposed to be. Verse 2, preserve my soul for I am holy. You, owe oh you my God, save your servant for, that trusts in you. This word preserve means to guard. He's saying, Guard your my soul. And the soul is the innermost being of who are who we are, the, the seat of our emotions, the seat of our of our being. And David is saying, Guard me, guard my inner parts, for I am holy. Now, sometimes I wonder about David, because he was, you know, able to say that he's holy. He understood God in, in a great way, especially when you look at his life. How many times he disobeyed God in Big his time. lifetime? Big time. And yet he understood that God saw him as forgiven and holy. And he said, I am holy, God. Save your servant that trusts in you. These Some of these statements that David makes are very bold. Very bold statements. God, I am holy. I'm trusting in you. And it, this has to be one of those times when he was. It doesn't really tell us when this prayer was, was made. It's definitely not during the time with that he's after Bathsheba and the murder of Uriah, where he goes a year without being in fellowship with God. You realize that for a year he rejected God and didn't confess to God, and God had to take that child, that first child of his and Bathsheba's in, away, and that's when he finally went to God and confessed his sin to God. So that was a year that he didn't follow God that year. And for a whole year yeah, he was... For a whole year he well, we can't say that he didn't do anything, but he yeah, but, but it was one of those things that we're told He didn't confess. First John one nine says, If we confess our sins he is faithful and just to forgive us of all unrighteousness. And that is not a salvation verse. If we don't confess our sins, it doesn't mean he's gonna send us to hell. But if we don't confess our sins to him, we cannot be in fellowship with God. And this is very important. You know, when we have sinner in our life We're not necessarily going to hell, but we're going to be out of fellowship. And some of us have been out of fellowship for long periods of time in our life where we had sin in our life and and didn't come to God. And then we confessed our sins and came back to Him. And the good news is as soon as we confess our sins, He forgives. No matter how long it is. For some people, I've met guys out in the jail that they've been years before they've come back to God. And many of them will say quite clearly that they're thankful for having gone to prison because all of a sudden they realize God still loves them because they've come across people who have shown them that God still loves them. And we're seeing salvations all the time out of the prison, watching people get saved, watching people come back to God and seeing that they need God, trying to get their lives in, 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 in correct with God. David is saying, you know, protect me, guard me, preserve me. We need that to be our prayer all the time. Because as I've said before, any area in our life that we think we're so strong that we cannot fail, yeah. we're going to not put a guard on that part of our life and, and we will watch ourselves fail in the strongest part that we think we have. We can maybe if, what if all day long, but if you yeah, right. look at it in a negative way, you're going to have trouble. When I lost my job three and a half years ago, thinking that I was coming here with a part-time job and didn't need the money from the church, I had to totally depend on God when I switched from making well over 30,000 a year to making between the two of us less than 20,000 a year. That was quite a shock. And I had to say, God, how are you gonna provide for us? And as you all well know, God provided for me every month. The, the mortgage got paid, the bills got paid and you know I've got gas in the car, the insurance on the car got paid and how are got paid? To this day I have no idea because a gift would come in or I'd get this I, you know extra money would come in I'd get get called for a, for a small job on the computer and make an extra hundred dollars. God takes care of us. It, the question is, are we willing to trust him? And most of the time, we get nervous and we don't trust him. And we go out and we do whatever it takes to, it, to make the world's way of doing things happen. Now, does that mean I sat on my butt and I never did anything? No. When those jobs came open to me, I said, okay, yes, I'll, I'll do this job for $75. I'll do this job for $100. Gave God the tithes and offerings. They were a lot smaller than I was used to, but I still gave God the amount of the percentage that him and I had agreed to give a, give him each year which is well above tithe for for us you know we we don't just tithe but but even when I didn't have the money I was doing what I told God we would do and he blessed so in that question what does it take trust in God it takes trust in God sometimes because sometimes we look at it from the world's point of way of looking at things and go I don't understand a lot of people will do that when God says he wants a tenth, the tithe of our offering. they go, God, I can't pay my bills with what I'm making now. When I give God at least the 10%, and then he will honor that gift. And he will make things happen. He will make things happen. I think that the tithe is the bare minimum we're supposed to give, and he wants offerings on top of that. And I, and I have been working on building an offering with God each year, so I'm above, Lynn and I are above that pie that we give. Even when we were making very little money, we gave him the amount of money and he provided. God is looking at us, and God wants to bless us. Do you realize that God wants to bless you? He's not up there looking to say, well, how little can I give this person and, and, and try to, you know, and you know how little—that's not his attitude. He is a good father who wants to bless his children, just as any of us, with our par- as parents, we want our kids to be well off. Sometimes we want it so bad that we hurt our children by by providing for them instead of letting them have trouble. Oftentimes, it's good for us to be able to help our kids out and say, "This is for you," as long as we're not enabling bad habits in them in them. It's good. Now, if I had a child who was saying, I just want to ha- you know, have you give me everything and I don't want to work, then I'm not giving them anything. And God wouldn't be doing it for us either. He would not be giving us if we aren't willing to step out. I have a little testimony. I took a Power for Abundant Living class. You know, God's going to give us Power for Abundant Life. And I needed $40 for the books. And the lady that was encouraging me to come to this bible class, this study said watch and we went to Alvin and found a gas station and we washed the gas station's windows and cleaned up the weeds and the guy paid us exactly 40 bucks exactly what i need for my books not a penny more the lady said i don't want any money this is all for the book for your books and i was blessed that it paid for my books god provided and it was like just like that the work came It was really strange, I thought, at the time. But now I know it was God giving me the money for my books to go to this Power for Abundant Living class. Mm -hmm. He'll provide exactly what you need for the dime, penny. Mm -hmm. And more. And more, remember. All right, verse 3. Be merciful unto me, O Lord, for I cry unto you daily. God is looking to be merciful. And David says, I cry to you daily. I call out to you daily. What we're supposed to do is be praying to him. But you know, God is desiring to be mercy. David's asking for mercy, but, and we need to ask him to be merciful. We, ask, we need to ask him to forgive. But you realize that that's what he desires to do. He sent Jesus to pay for our sins so that he could be merciful to us. He could be forgiving. He could be compassionate as we're going to look into this. And David is saying, I cry daily. Hopefully you're in a place where you come to God daily. Uh, I know Christians who don't. I used to have that problem. I, prayer has never been an easy thing for me. I study. I would, I would come to God and all of that as far as the word. But prayer has never been an easy thing for me. And to learn to ask him daily for things is, has been tough. I've learned. It's taken time. Some people have no problem with the prayer side. But sometimes they forget to get into God's Word (laughs) on a daily basis. And I've seen many people like that as well. That don't spend time in God's Word having Him speak back to them. And one of the things that we did uh, the class earlier on New Beginnings and we talked about. Prayer is a communication with God, not just a one-way monologue. You know, He's not looking for us to do all the talking. And he's not wanting us to just sit there and wait for him to s- try to speak to us. It is a conversation with him. And sometimes when you're in prayers, you get these answers that are kind of just amazing sometimes, where you get into his word and he shows you what he wants you to do. We need to learn to have that communication, to hear God's voice. And we've been sharing a lot, you know, how do we learn God's voice? How do we learn to hear his voice? We spend, we spend time with him. You know, same way... You know, it's always amazed me how mothers can 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 hear the cry of a baby in a nursery, and know that it's their child, and not only know that it's their child, but exactly what's wrong with that child just from the cry that they're hearing a long distance, you know, from from away. You know, they know it's their baby. They know the baby's hungry or wet or just or angry or whatever, and they'll know that cry. And to me, it's just a cry. Even when it was my own kids, it was just a cry, and I'd have to sit there and try to figure out what was wrong with the with what was wrong with the child, and Lynn would go, "Oh, they need to eat, they need their diaper change." You know, she knew what it was, without even standing there, you know, over the child, and I'm sitting there checking everything. <laughs> but David's saying, "I cry to you daily, God," and God was waiting to hear. It says, "Rejoice, my soul, the soul of your servant, for for unto you, O Lord." do I lift up my soul. His innermost being being lifted up to God. And it says, rejoice the soul of your servant. Isn't it wonderful when you come before God in prayer, in worship, in, in reading His Word, and you come into God's presence. Hopefully you understand what I say when, you, when I'm talking about coming into His presence. And you feel the presence of God in the worship. There's times when I've gone before Him and prayed and and worshiped and didn't feel that. There's been other times when I feel God's presence in what goes on. And it's an amazing thing when you're in the presence of God. Isaiah 6, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, and His praise filled the temple. And it says the angels cried, holy, holy, holy. And three times that they're unholy. And he says he fell on his face because he was in the presence of God. When you're in the presence of God, there is that righteousness. There's your heart bows if nothing else. And there's this utter peace that, you, that overcomes. And you're able to say, God, speak. And in the very end of Isaiah 6, when God says, who, who will go for me? And Isaiah says, here am I, send me. I'm, but I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. And God touched his mouth with the flame from the coal from the altar and said, go. You know, I, love it. I love it with Jeremiah. Jeremiah gets so angry with God because every time he speaks, he gets put into prison. And he finally goes, God, I'm not speaking anymore. I'm not, I'm not talking for you, God, anymore because of this. And then the next verse goes God's word burned in my mouth and I couldn't help but speak. Have you ever been in a place where God's word just burns in your mouth so much that you have to speak? You know, you, you didn't want to speak. You didn't want to say anything in the in the in the place, but God's word is you're going to speak. You're going to speak or you're going to suffer from this desire to speak. David is saying, I rejoice to be in your presence, God. I lift my soul up to you. I'm giving you all that I am. And the verse says, For you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive, plenteous in mercy unto all them that call upon you. God is good. This is something, when I was at College Park, they used to say that all the time. God is good. And everybody would repeat back, all the time, God is good, and then they'd usually repeat it back, God, all the time, God is good, and then they'd go, God is good. Do you realize God is always good? How many times do we go through something in our life that we look at it and say, how can this be good? It's been amazing over the years when I, when something seemingly bad happens, you get enough distance between what happened in the future, and all of a sudden you kind of look back on it and say, oh, it really wasn't that bad. It got me ready for something else, or I was able to use that in ministering to somebody. I loved it, and I'm, I've said this ever since I've heard it, God's perfect plan is what I will choose if I knew everything. Do you realize that whatever happens to us, whether it seems bad or not, if I knew everything about the future, and everything about the people that I was going to come in contact with and everything that I was going to go through, I would say, thank you, God, for putting me through this. Why do we have to wait 5, 10, 15, 20 years before we'll be ready to say thank you, God, for what we knew was already going to be good? But this is why it's important for us to be able to say, everything that happens is for good. Romans eight twenty-eight is one of my favorite verses for. All things work together for good for those who are called according to the purpose of God. Not most of what happens to us, not some of what happens to us, but everything that happens is for good. And I emphasize all the time, it doesn't say for my good. It says for good. And, And oftentimes it may be just so that I can empathize with somebody down the road. Maybe so that I'll be less judgmental of them when I cross them because I've already failed in my past so that I can accept them where they're at. Maybe, and this is the example I tell people oftentimes, it could be something as simple as I spent six months on crutches over at College Park serving God and somebody a year later came up and said, I was greatly encouraged and have changed my mind by watching you serve God when you were in obvious pain. We don't know why God puts us through things. And I use this example not to say that was somebody special. I just did what God told me to do, serve him. And somebody else was blessed by saying, oh, this person's in real pain, and, and I suffer a little bit, but I should be able to serve God. And this is, I use this example only because we may not know why we're going through hardship. Sometimes we will learn later on down the road. But there are going to be things that we've gone through that we're not going to find out why until we get to heaven. All we need to do is have faith that God has a reason and trust him. And sometimes that's hard to do. Sometimes it's very hard to do. Just trust God and say, God, you're God and I'm not. I, I tell people, this, one of the first things you learn in seminary is that there's one God and we're not him. Okay, we need to learn that. If I'm always demanding God why, I'm having a little bit of an identity crisis, aren't I? God, you, you, I'm so important that you have to answer to me. God is saying he is God. He is sovereign. God doesn't have to answer to us at all. Thankfully, oftentimes he does and tells us why things are happening. But he is under no obligation to tell us anything. He is in charge. He's the sovereign one. He is the master. He is the maker. We are his servants. And this is something we've got to remember. We're his servants. The servant does not get great praise just because they do what they're supposed to do. That servant who is serving the table at the at the rich person's home does not get special oh thank you you served my dinner that was their job anyway and a matter of fact they're supposed to do it so well that people barely notice them and that's when they're doing their job correctly so they're not going to get they're not going to get thanked by anybody because if they're doing their job correctly nobody notices them and god is saying you're my servants Now, he's merciful and kind enough oftentimes to let us be thanked and even to say thank you. But he's under no obligation to do so. He's under no obligation to explain to us why he's letting things happen to our life. And I'm as guilty as everybody else. There's been times I've said, God, why? How come? He's under no obligation to tell us. Thankfully, sometimes he does. But you know, when we truly keep those positions in place we just say thank you God and we go on with our life God I know you've got a reason so I'm just going to go forward Paul says in everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you in First Thessalonians 5 mm-hmm. be thankful in everything isn't that hard to do sometimes pretty easy to give thanks when everything seems to be going right but when things go wrong by our sight, to be able to say, uh, be thankful anyway, even though everything seems to be working against us. There's been times when my prayer has been, God, I don't understand how this is for good, but I'm going to accept that it is, and I'm going to keep going forward. I don't understand, but you said it is. Even there, God is not obligated to give us anything He's never obligated to give us anything. He says, God, you are good. You're ready to forgive. Isn't it a great blessing that God forgives? And we think about forgiveness, you know, forgiveness in the Hebrew means to wipe out, to blot out, to cover. He forgives us because Jesus has covered our sins with his blood and he does not dig around the blood trying to to pull our sins out from under the blood. This is the blessing that He's given us. He's put our sins away. He says He separates our sins as far as the east is from the west. That's a long distance, seems like if you can keep going east, you'll never go west. He says they've been in the deepest sea. He forgets these things. He he has put them so far away. God, by divine fiat, which is command, Has decided that there's a place where he can put our sins, and he'll never remember them, because he says that he won't. Because I've had people go, well, how can God know? Who knows everything? Forget our sins, because he said he would. Plain and simple, he said he would. So he's got some place, a closet or something, that he puts the sins in, and says, "I'm never opening this place again," and you're forgiven. And yet we at times will go to God and say, God, I'm just so bad I can't forgive myself. To me, that's such an arrogant statement to say that I can't forgive myself when the God of the universe says he forgives. But if I'm going to say, I'm going to remember my sin, the God, the God of the universe, the master of the universe will forget, again, I'm forgetting my place in the, in, the, in the organization chart. God, you can forgive, but I can't. God, you can forgive my brother or sister, but I can't. I'm going to hold it against them for the rest of my life and their life. Can you imagine the tears that brings to God's eyes when we try to get that way with it, people? People he's forgiven, and we want to hold their sins against them. And he says, I've forgiven them. And you know, David said in in many of the Psalms, and the prophets have said that all of our sin is against God, not each other. David in Psalm 51 said, Against you and you only have I sinned, God. And Psalm 51 is about his adultery with Bathsheba and the murder of Uriah and the death of the child. And he says, Against you and you only have I sinned. A lot of people involved in that sin. And he's going, God, you're the one that really has been sinned against. And yet how many times do we hold grudges against somebody because we just choose not to forgive them? even when they've gone to God and asked for forgiveness. Little thing I have about forgiveness that I gave out. If we keep talking about it, we haven't forgiven somebody. If we still want to see them punished, we haven't forgiven them. Ultimately, we need to let go. Can we, can God forget? Technically, no, he can't, but he chooses to forget. How do we forget somebody's wrong against us? Stop thinking about it. Don't dwell on it. Don't dwell on it. Every time you think about what they've done, you bring it back to the top of your mind, and you'll never forget it. Make a choice. Choose to forget. You choose to forget it. You choose to stop thinking about it. You choose to stop speaking about it. You choose to ignore it. That doesn't mean they're going to get away with it, because if they haven't confessed it to God, they're going to pay for it. If they haven't accepted God's forgiveness, they will go to hell because, because of the sin and the rejection of Christ. But you know, our job is very simple. We just forgive them and quit talking about them. Because Remember that thing I handed out has three points in it. Quit dwelling on it, quit talking about it, quit trying to make them pay. Usually our talking about it is trying to make them pay to people who probably don't even know them. You know what so-and-so did, you know, 98 years ago. 98 years ago, they did this to me. Well, I don't even know who you're talking about. Yeah, but if you ever meet them, you need to know what they did. That's really what we're telling people when we keep sharing these things. Well, this person has really harmed me. And I know you don't know who they are, but if you should have been to come across them, this is, this is who they are. Somehow we're feeling like we're making them pay by bringing up their name over. And over and over again, many years after we supposedly have forgiven them. David here is saying, God, you want, you're ready to forgive. We need to be ready to forgive one another. Ready to forgive people. And you know the important thing about forgiveness is we do not wait for them to ask for forgiveness. God did not wait for us to ask for forgiveness before he came to pay the price. And aren't you glad that he didn't? Because most of us would never have asked for forgiveness unless he loved us enough to be holding the forgiveness for us. How many times do we hold those grudges against people and they may never come to ask for forgiveness and and we're still angry at them and all we're doing is hurting ourselves. Forgiveness comes just forgive. Forgive them even though they don't deserve it. Forgive them even though they haven't asked for it. Just as God does for us. Does that mean we're going to allow them to come in and hurt us again over and over and over again? No. Okay. We're not going to let somebody keep hurting us. When I counsel somebody who's being abused by a spouse or, or or a significant other, the the advice is get out of that situation. Don't sit there and be a punching bag. You're still going to forget. You're still going to need to forgive them. You still need to release what they've done to you and quit, give, let God be your defense. But you don't sit there and just stay in that relationship. And this is the same thing. If you have somebody who's stealing from you, you get them out of your life and you you forgive them for their theft, but you're not going to keep inviting them back into your house. body is affected. Your spirit is affected, but your physical being is also affected by this lack of forgiveness, hatred that you hold against them. Your health will suffer because of it. Your emotions will suffer because of it. You will not enjoy life because you're so busy trying to wait, wait for this person to... To be punished that they deserve. This is what forgiveness is. In English, the definition for forgiveness is to give up your wish for to payment or to get even with. Doesn't mean that you're going to let them get away with it, but you're no longer sitting there waiting for the, wanting them to be punished. This is true forgiveness. God forgives us. Do we deserve to be punished? Yes. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. When we sin against God, we have earned eternal punishment and yet God forgives and gives us grace and gives us life. And yet when we have somebody sin against us so often, we want, we're waiting for them to, to really pay. They, we want to see them pay and they, we want to see them get hurt because they hurt us and they probably deserve it but we need to release it to God. And I've shared with you, when you release it to God and He's your defender, God will take care of them. God will take care of them more than you probably wanted to see them hurt. If that is you wanted to see them hurt, God sometimes will really take them out. And I shared with you this guy that kept attacking a pastor who didn't deserve to be attacked. The head deacon and I went to him and said, you have got to stop attacking this pastor. And he said, well, I'm really, you know, he tried to give us this, we don't want to hear why you're angry. You need to let go. He kept attacking the pastor. Within two years, he was divorced. Two of his kids had died and he had cancer. I truly believe it was because he did not release his anger and God put judgment on him. And I've seen this in more than one case where these kind of extreme punishments have happened. Release your anger release people to be put, be put in the presence of God and let God deal with it. God is more than able to take care of these people. He is more than able to discipline them with whatever it is He knows they need. We, if we try to do it, God will say, if want if we want to try to punish somebody, He'll say, fine, I'll just step back and watch you try to punish this person. Doesn't work. You're going to be miserable. You're not going to get any results usually. Normally, they don't even know you're mad at them. Okay, These people you haven't forgiven 30 years ago don't even know you're mad at them usually. Uh, They may realize that you're not sending them birthday cards or talking to them very much on the phone. But they usually don't know that you're mad at them. And if you do approach them, they go, oh my goodness, I didn't know that that's how you took that. It's not what I meant. And you've been mad for 30 years, ruining your life because you think that they did something on purpose. And this is something I've also shared with people. When you're mad at somebody, be mad for what really happened, not what you think happened. Can't tell you how many times I've heard somebody telling me, or, well, they did this, and this is why they did it. <laughs> and it's like, okay, I may, let's go back. I can understand they did something, but how did you get into their memories and their thinking to know why? You know how many times I've, su- had to deal with this problem with people. This is what they did, and here's why they did it. And it's like, well, how do you know that that's why they did it? You, know, you might even not even understand what happened, much less the why. It's been amazing to me, as I've solved problems with people's in people's relationships, when you get to hear both sides of the story, how people oftentimes change the story to make themselves look good. You know, they won't tell you what they said that kind of triggered the other person's reaction they'll go well they just out of the blue I, I just said hello and they and they went off on me <laughs> you know you they forgot to say that you know you, they, you bugged them about why they didn't show up the day before you know it, you know but we we tend to do this and it's not necessarily that they're lying they're just choosing what, <laughs> what words to use and sometimes they really truly believe that they did nothing and it's important for us to say, God, if I have any part in this, I need to confess it. I need to be able to understand it and and ask for forgiveness for my part of it. And usually the person will break down because you've asked for forgiveness, and they break down realizing they did wrong too. Annie? There's been times I've done that myself and walk away thinking, whoa, 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 you did not tell the whole story. And then I realized. Sometimes I go back and tell the person that I just shot you a problem and sometimes I just tell the Lord, whoa, I see the whole story now I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I see my side of that. Mm-hmm. We have a greater capacity as humans to ignore our part of problems mm-hmm. and it's very sad. We need to learn to be able to look at ourselves honestly. David after adultery with Bathsheba and the murder of Uriah did not acknowledge his part of the problems until the child paid the price and he realized how important it was and how much he was at fault. And of course it took Nathan coming into him and giving him a story that he that he related to real well. You know, this this poor guy had one sheep and the rich guy took his sheep and killed it for, for dinner and David really, being a shepherd and loving, loving sheep the way he did, got angry and then, of course, Nathan says, you're the man. Okay. All of a sudden, it's like, oh, <laughs> you're right. I've done, I've done a lot of evil. We have this a real strong capacity to, to really not think about what our part of an issue is. When we say, I talked about it this morning, how often do we push buttons to make somebody angry and somehow get pleasure out of it? And, you know, and, and we look back at it and say, how could I have taken any pleasure in it? and yet we do it all the time. Frequently. Are you? We do it all the time, but it's human nature. Because it's a way to get some kind of power over somebody. We, we just kind of put the, put the little prod in there, just the right place to get them to, to be irritated. Families do it amongst themselves all the time. Friends can do it. You know, you, you've got people in your life that you know that when you're with them, as much as you may like them, you know that at certain times they're just going to do that little thing that's going to make you mad or irritated. And I don't know why we do it. A lot of it is power, you know, just the power, a little young, know, a little power trip. We probably don't even do it on purpose. You know. last thing I want to do at my house is make people mad at me and yet Yet I'll find myself doing just that sometimes. And I'm sure that they do it they're doing it, you know, why they would want me mad at them, I don't know, but you know, they'll do it. This is our part, we have this way of ignoring issues with things and not wanting to accept our part in what goes on. And God is saying He's ready to forgive. I love this. He's plenteous in mercy. God is merciful doesn't give us what we deserve and David is saying you're plenteous in mercy God because he understood that God should have judged him for many things that he had done how many things do we do each day each hour (laughs) that we deserve punishment for I don't wanna know either Uh. his mercy is what we want and we want to see that mercy and then it says, and all, you know, he's plenteous in mercy to all that call upon him. And you know, he's, merc- he's merciful to those who don't call on him as well. But David is trying to say, when you call on him, he's going to be full of mercy. God loves us enough. Can you imagine if God was not merciful, what this world would be like? Oh, God. If, he was, <laughs> if he judged everything that deserved to be judged, if he judged us, for everything that, deserves, that we deserve to have judged, we, would, we wouldn't be here. We'd all be in trouble. We probably wouldn't be alive. God's mercy yeah, is so wonderful that he shows us mercy. He does not give us what we deserve. He does not give the lost world what they deserve right now. He will, if they do not come to Christ, he will give them what they deserve when they stand before him at the white throne judgment. And he says, why did you not accept my son? And they go on, well, we just thought we knew better. And he's gonna say, fine, then you get to spend eternity with what you thought was good. But you know, for us, when we stand before God, his mercy still will retain and we'll have grace and he'll give us great rewards. Because we as Christians will stand at the bema seat of Christ And he'll say, let's check your works and see what remains. If we did it in the flesh, it'll burn up. If we let him work through us, it'll be a reward. But even then, do you realize when we stand at the Bema Seat of Christ, he is not looking to see what he can take away from us. He's really looking to say, how much gems and precious stuff is there in this life that if I looked at it is a mess? We'll have our own righteousness standing there to get burnt up. And it's gonna burn. Our righteousness is filthy rags in front of them and it's gonna burn. All of the things I did in my flesh are going to burn before him. And he's gonna go, let's sift all these ashes and find the good stuff that I did through you. And he's gonna pull those things out and it says, here's your reward for eternity. And as I've simplified it, I love God's plan. He does the work and I get paid. All of us are working for that kind of job, aren't we? If we could find that job where somebody else does the work and we get paid to do it, we'd be all all kinds of happy. And yet that's God's plan in the spiritual world. He crucifies our flesh, he does the work through us, and we get the reward. The plan that we all want in the flesh is what he's given us for the spirit. He does the work and he pays us to do it. He did the work for our salvation, and we get the reward. He does the work as we witness to people, and, and we get the reward. He does it all, and we get rewarded. Isn't that a great plan? <laughs> makes, makes the Christian world a lot less striving. Sitting there, what can, what can I do? I've got to do something for God today. I've got to do something for him this hour. I've got to do something for him this minute. What He's asking us to do is be crucified and let Him work through us. Fill us so full that He splashes all over everybody around us. When He says to be filled, it's the word pleroma in Greek, and it means to be filled to the top and overflowing. We are to be filled so full of Him that He overflows onto everybody around us. And we've talked about this, how oftentimes we as Christians get into situations And we bring God in the middle of the situation, and oftentimes that will bring peace to the situation because God's presence is there, or at least conviction to these individuals. It's amazing what God can do when he comes into the situation and he's splashing around out of us. It's kind of like a a fountain that's overflowing the fountain. Everywhere you're going, God is splashing all over everybody. (laughs) The fountain's full. He's he's out there being splashed all over everybody you come across and sometimes they turn to him because of it and then we get the reward. We bring his peace into the situation and all of a sudden peace reigns and we get the reward. This is how good God is. He wants to bless people. He wants to draw them to him. We talked about the book of Revelation, all the trials and bowls and trumpets and, all of, and, the, and the seals. The whole purpose of all of that is to draw people to him. He's showing them his wrath, but his whole purpose is get, to get people, the last possible group of people, to come to him. He's tried for most of the time with gentleness. If he needs to use harsh means, he'll use harsh means. He does it in our own lives. When we we go off and do things our way, he'll come in with gentleness and just say, would you please listen with a still, small voice? You don't listen to the still, small voice, and then he starts coming in with the the trials and tribulations and say, are you ready to listen yet? And if that doesn't work, sometimes he brings in the full-fledged storms. And if that doesn't work, he'll take us home. But he's there saying, come back I love you come back and he starts out so gentle so kind and it's wonderful when we can just listen to that still small voice and when he leads us it's usually with a still small voice he doesn't come into our lives yelling and hollering he wants to say are you hiding in me we've talked a lot about that in the first couple chapters God saying he's our fortress he's our defender He says, just rest in Him. The book of Hebrews is all about our faith rest in Christ. We come into Christ and we rest in Him. We start our rest immediately. The Sabbath was a picture of the rest that people were to have with God. When we are in Christ and properly related to Him, we are at rest. We're not striving, we're not working hard because He said, take my yoke upon you, cast your fears upon him, hide in him if you want to go with the scriptures from the Psalms. He says, Paul says, put on Christ, be in Christ. All of those things are pictures of us hiding in God. And when we hide in him, he lives out of us. And you want to be the picture of rest. Christianity is easy to live and we do it right. We fall into Christ. We hide in Christ. We hide inside the fortress. We go into the strong tower. He is our shield. He's our buckler. He's the armor. When Paul talks about putting on the armor of Christ, it's to be in Christ because every piece of the armor is Christ. And he's saying, just be in me. Let me be your defender. And the more we let him defend us, the easier life is. When we try to defend ourselves, God's quite a gentleman. He'll say, okay, you want to defend yourself? You want to step outside of the fortress? You want to step outside of Christ to defend yourself? Go ahead. And we generally end up getting beat up, angry maybe, and we come crawling back into the fortress all bloodied and bruised and say, God, I made a big dumb mistake. Take care of it. And he'll say about time, and he'll put you back in. He'll cleanse you up, and then he'll take care of the problems. But you realize if you're in the middle of a storm, a physical storm, a big rainstorm, a thunderstorm, lightning, uh, hail, whatever it might be, you have two choices. You can stand out in the middle of the storm, and especially on a hailstorm, and get pummeled, or you stay inside. Now, if you're in a hailstorm, the best place to be is inside. You let the walls of that house get beat up. If you're in a hurricane or a typhoon, you're better off inside a strong building and let the walls take the beating. This is the picture that God tells us. Hide in him. He's the fortress. There is nothing that Satan in the world can throw at him that's going to even affect him. And if we're hiding in him, we're protected. And we will not feel the storms. Hopefully you have had in your lifetime times when you've been hidden in God in the middle of a storm. And you kind of look back over what happened over, the, you know, over a period of time. And you're going, wow, it's quite a bit of mess back there. What, what, what's been happening? And then there's other times when nothing is really going on in your life. And you're being knocked around and thrown around because you're not hiding in God And you kind of look at your life and go, wow, how can I be knocked over by such easy stuff? Because you're not where you're supposed to be. This is important for us. We get in Christ. He protects us. We get in Christ, and he is the one that takes the beating of the storm. We put on the yoke with Christ. He's the one that takes the the heaviness of the yoke and the heaviness of the plow, and we're just kind of walking along beside him. All it is is where are we? Are we where we're supposed to be or are we trying to do it ourselves? Our flesh likes to do it ourselves. Always. And I hear it so many times from people. I've given this message to some people, especially one guy out at the prison, he's going, but, but, what about? You know, and he throws out all these verses that seem to indicate that you're supposed to work and, and strive and do all these things. I'm going, let's look at the tense. Let's look at what this, these verses really mean. God is saying, Rest rest in Him, take His yoke, be hiding in Him, and the pr- preciousness of doing this makes us victorious. We want to be victorious in Christ, we rest in Him, and let Him be the one that has to fight the battles. David, when he went to fight Goliath, I love David when he was going to fight Goliath, it's like, you know, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that dares to speak against God? You know. He'll be just like the other animals that I had to protect, that God helped me protect the sheep from. He knew who the power was, he knew who the victory would be, but his question was who dares to speak against God? How often do we come across people who are daring to speak against God, and we're like the rest of the Israeli army, shaking in our boots because somebody's speaking against God? Realize that God does not really need our help, He allows us to be used. But he really doesn't need our help. He can, he can win any victory without, without us. He doesn't need us to share the gospel with people, but he allows us the privilege of sharing the gospel with people and watching people come to him. He can do it whatever way he wants, and he's going to do it in Revelation, there's an angel flying around the skies giving the gospel. Okay? He doesn't need people to do this. He can do it without us. He gives us the, the privilege of allowing him to work through us so the gospel is presented. He allows us to have the privilege of living a godly life in front of people so that they can come to him because of our example, that he lives through us to be the example for. Again, he's the one that does all of it. We share the gospel, and that's our job is to share the gospel, but he's responsible for how they receive it. And you share the gospel often enough, you're going to come across people who will say, yes, I want the gospel. But you know, how many times have you shared the gospel and it seems like just nobody listens, nobody listens, nobody listens. (laughs) But you know, even those people are having to be responsive to God and eventually they hear, and it's been true even all through church history where the church seems to preach the gospel and nobody listens. And then there's periods where almost everybody seems to be getting saved and you have great revival. I'd love to see a time of great revival come. I don't expect it, unfortunately, because I see it seems like we're too close to the end times. But I'd love to see a great revival. I'd love to see a, a third great awakening in America where people come to Christ in droves. 1700s, there was a great revival. God swept our nation. Early 1800s, a great revival. God swept the nation. So much so that they, the bars and brothels were closing everywhere they went, not because the, the law said you've got to close them, but because there was nobody coming, or the owner would get saved and close it. Okay. But God moved across this country and did great revival. I think just that Congress in America was pretty good. There were a lot of people that got saved by. Yeah. shops and yeah. clothes. All kinds of things. But we want to be able to say, God, we need a revival. It's going to start with the churches. Both of the great revivals started with prayer. Prayer for revival, prayer for God to, to sweep across this country. I would love to be wrong. I'd love to see a great, another great revival. I'd love to see God sweep across this country and, and push off the end times by 100 or 200 years. It would be wonderful. Hard to imagine when you read the rest of the book, but it would be wonderful for that to happen. To be able to get rid of all of these problems we're having with homosexuality being acceptable and all these transgender issues that we're, that we're facing. The only hope is for God to sweep this country. Mm-hmm. But we are in those places where the usually, when people get to this point in their in history, judgment falls. The Roman Empire was judged for its sexual sins. The, the Greek Empire was judged for its sexual sins. The Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Egyptians, every great civilization fell in reality because of the sexual sins that they that perverted the countries. The Israelites, when they went into the Promised Land, the reason they were told to kill every person in there was the Canaanites, the Jebusites, and all those other ites that lived there were so sexually perverted that anything went. And God said, kill them all. This has been what He's done through every great civilization throughout the Generations. the first time in history, isn't it, that the government, the, the ruling authority made it law? No. That said, that, oh no? Every one of those great, great civilizations had laws saying that it was okay. And to protect them and mm-hmm. to crucify the right man. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This isn't new. What we're going through is not new. The only new thing seems to be that it's worldwide. It's not. There doesn't seem to be any empire that can come up that's righteous at this moment. It's a Western civilization. Well, it's even more than... We're forcing it on every other civilization as well. So, I mean, it's it's worldwide. Israel isn't doing this, is it? Probably. Israel, Israel is so atheistic and agnostic, they're not godly. I, I know they're not godly, but... Uh, they're not godly at all. The aluminum... The only reason that they're going to be blessed is because they're God's people and he says he's going to do it. And you think about this. When do they realize that they have been lied to and that they're not following God? Is when Satan stands in the temple and says, I am God. And then their eyes are open that they have not been following the right God. And then they turn to worship God. So the scriptures tell us exactly what they are. They are not righteous. They are, not, they are blessed only because God said he was going to bless them. Not because they deserve it. Not because they're even doing things the right way. They are they are being blessed because of his mercy and his grace. Not for anything they deserve. There's no reason why he should have brought them back to be a nation. Which is also the other reason we know that we're at the end times. Because he brought them back to be a nation and started the t- clock clock in motion again for them. The only ones in the tribulation time that are going to be, yeah. be true to him are on the 144,000 Then that he uses to preach the gospel. Yes, he's going to bless them only because of the promise he made to Abraham. Right now, the amazing thing people think, I mean, most Christians think that the Israelites or the the people in Israel are really coming to him, and they're not. Most of them are agnostic at best and outright atheist as well. All you got to do is look through Kings, Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah. All these guys say, yes, God's going to judge you. He's going to bring things against you. But because they are Abraham's descendants, he is blessing them and keeping them in their land and brought them back to their land. He's made promises to the people of Israel that he is keeping, even though they don't deserve it. This is the only group that he has done that with. Everybody else is. You've got to be a believer and a follower, but for them, their promise is... Now, that doesn't mean they're going to heaven. Okay, They've got to go to heaven only through Jesus Christ and the the shed blood of Jesus Christ. But God is blessing them because he said he was going to bless them. He said that he was going to bless them, and he told Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, I'm going to bless your descendants. That doesn't mean they're going to heaven. Because they didn't accept them. It doesn't mean they're going to heaven, but they are being blessed. Israel, as small as it is, feeds the entire European continent. No, no, they're not going to heaven or anything because of this. But he's blessing them because he promised to bless them. Not because they deserve it, because they don't. They're not going to heaven. They're not going to heaven without accepting Christ. But he is blessing the nation. And we see that even when they go to war. It's amazing when you listen to the stories about them being in war. Bombs not exploding, planes falling out of the air, missiles just dropping out of the sky, entire platoons surrendering to two people because they see another army behind those two. And you start looking at what the Bible says, and you go, wow, those sound familiar. <laughs> you know, this all sounds familiar. God's done it so money for them. They're, they're making a lot of bad decisions, unfortunately, and trying to... Not, make, not go where they're supposed to be. Our job is to lift Christ up. They will eventually realize that they have followed the wrong. Now, many of them are going to die during the tribulation before this happens. But when the Antichrist stands in the, in the temple and says, I am God, then their eyes are opened up and they're going to realize that they have been lied to and they're going to run, run for protection just as Jesus said they wouldn't turn to him. Uh, how many of them will die between that time? I know, about, two-thirds of all, in, about two-thirds of the entire population of the world will die in the tribulation. They're part of the world, so probably two-thirds of the, the Jews will die during the tribulation. As a guess. <laughs> uh, so, it is a serious situation. To not turn to God is a very serious place. To trust in anything that your works is not a place you want to be because when we stand before God in our own righteousness, we will be rejected. When people stand at the white throne judgment in their own filthy rags and God's gonna say, depart from me, I don't know you. And as I've said, the, the scariest scripture to me is when Jesus says, many in that day will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't I? And they list all these really good religious things. I I went to the prison, I fed the hungry, I went to the hospitals, I cast out demons, and he's gonna say, depart from me, I never knew you. All their good works are not gonna hold up. And this is something we need to be aware of at all times. This is why we need to look in our lives and say, do I have a personal relationship with God? And when you do, there's no question that you do. When you don't, there's always that question in your mind, Am I, am I doing enough good? Am I, am I good enough for God to accept me? If you're asking that question, you're asking the wrong question altogether. When you have a relationship with God, you know that you have a relationship with God. You know you're in a relationship with Him, and you know it's not you that deserves anything. You're being blessed because of Him. And this is what's important. The Jews don't understand that right now. They know they're being blessed. Believe me, they understand they're being blessed. Because they're a little nation with an entire world trying to destroy them. And you think about that, a nation about the size of New Jersey, everybody around them wanting to wipe them out, and they haven't been wiped out. That's God blessing. God blessing. It's nothing special that they've done at all. There's going to come a time when we as Christians are going to have the world coming against us as well. It's told to us. Jesus said, the world hated me, they will hate you. Mm -hmm. Much of the Christian Christian world outside of America wonders how the American Christians aren't persecuted. Most of them have a question on whether we are Christian because we're not persecuted. Our world, our, our nation started out with the right attitude but that's starting to turn we're going to face these problems in the and probably jail and, and and death it's around the corner we need to start preparing our hearts and our minds to suffer and be able to say with the Apostles thank God that we were determined to be worthy of suffering because it is going to be one of those things that is out there that God says now now is the time. You're going to see what the rest of the world has gone through. And we will see in this country how many people who's, who claim to be Christians really aren't. It's not as popular to be a Christian now as it was even 20, 30 years ago. 20, 30 years ago, everybody was a Christian because they lived in America. You know, I used to hear that when I would witnessed to them. Of course I'm a Christian. I live in America. Okay? But for many of them, they went to church only because it was a good social club. It was a good place to network. They did not know God. We're seeing people pull away from that. And it's going to become a very serious place soon where to name the name of Christ will bring people against us. We need to be ready for that. We need to be spiritually ready for that and realize that it's not uncommon, number one. Matter of fact, it is normal to be be judged and have go through persecution. In much of the world, if you become a Christian, you're going to lose your business. Mm -hmm. You maybe get fired. You may even pay with your very life in most of this world. And we don't even, we think we're being persecuted if somebody makes fun of us. Oh, you're one of those Christ followers. We then laugh at us and we feel like we've been persecuted. You get in most of the Muslim world, you may have a business, but nobody comes. Because you're a Christian. Just like the Jews under Hitler. Yeah. And if you try to follow God, in some of the Christian and Muslim world, you're going to be executed. And it's amazing in places in this world where the life expectancy of a Christian is less than six months because of the persecution they're under. And this is something you may not be aware of, but there are more martyrs every year currently than ever in the past when we think about the great persecutions of Christians. There are millions of Christians dying every year in this world and usually we don't hear anything about them because it's not something people want to hear. Millions dying, probably tens of millions dying every year. And we're not hearing about it. We're beginning to hear little bits, because ISIS is making such a big push for killing Christians that it's starting to hit the news. But it is not new. It is not unusual what's going on. They're just doing it very openly and boldly right now. And it's drawing drawing news. But it's been going on always. About 10, 20 years ago, it it was in the Ethiopian area. The life expectancy of a Christian there was six weeks. You became a Christian and you would be dead within six weeks because they'd wipe out entire villages. And it never hit the news. With ISIS, we're starting to hear about it, but it is not new, it is not unusual. It's just something that's now kind of being accepted enough that they, can, they feel they can get away with it. Be ready. Be ready for these changes that are happening. And very soon we'll have to pay for our lives and at the very least our freedoms. We will end up in the re-education camps all across America because of our beliefs and following of Christ, where they will try to re-educate us into thinking like the world does. This is when we need to have Bible verses memorized so that we can fall upon God's word to keep ourselves from being brainwashed into some other, other way of thinking. And I'm encouraging people and going, learn the word. And I hear people say, "Well, I don't. I have a hard time." If all you learn is one verse every year, that's still one verse more than you learnt, than you knew to begin with. Five years from now, you'll have five verses in your head. <laughs> and I think you can learn more than one verse a year, even if it's only one verse a month. At the end of the year, you've learned 12 verses that can help protect your brain. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his ways by taking heed to your word, is what it says in in, Psalm 119. His word is a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. Get to know his word. We need to know his word because it is so important to be able to walk in his word and have the strength of his word because it is so important. Where is our true wisdom? It comes from God. You know, if we think we know things, we don't know anything because it needs to be through Him. We need to understand that all things work together for good. We need to understand that no temptation has overtaken us, but such it is common to man. You know, we need to put all of our hope and desires on Him because He is the one that is our protection. And I encourage you, find verses to memorize. Even if it takes months to learn that verse, it's one more verse in your mind that's going to be protection when the time comes. The amazing thing during, during the Vietnam War that these POWs oftentimes would start putting together the verses that they had learned in Sunday school or church. They put together most of the Bible between, between them because God reminded them of the verses that are in your heart. It's amazing when you put verses in your mind how easily they come back when you need them and God brings them back to your remembrance. His word does not return void. He will always come forward. We need his word in our heart. We need to be memorizing his word. And it's amazing how verses that you've learned long ago come back. And, it, and it's wonderful. There's psalms in in the book that I know because they're songs to me. You know, I sang them in, in church, and I'll be reading along, and all of a sudden I'll come across one of these psalms. And I'm going, oh, I know this one, and I know the whole psalm. You know, Psalm 100. We used to sing that in church. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all all you earth. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Make a loud noise. Make a uh, with crashing cymbals. Come before his presence with singing and into his courts with joy. You know, all of these songs that are out there that are something that you need to know. You know uh, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not into your own understanding and in all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Like Learn. Psalm, yeah, like we- Psalms 25, 4, 5. Show me your way, O Lord. Teach me in your path guide me in your truth and teach me for you are God, my salvation and my hope is in you all day long. Yeah, and that's a song too. So, but I want to challenge, uh, this has been on my heart to challenge our church to learn verses. And I think I'm going to follow, Pastor Dennis over at College Park has been doing this for a while, learning a verse a month with the church and going over it. I think I'm going to follow suit on that because we need to learn his word. We need that strength because the time is coming. The time is short when we're going to need his word. And we may not have a physical Bible to grab hold of. And I, when I say that, people go, well, it's on my phone. It's on my computer. It won't be long before you won't have either, any of those either. You need. We need to have his word in our heart. We need to be w- memorizing scripture because it is so important for us, because it is what's going to keep us when all hell breaks loose against us. And there are places where the scriptures aren't even allowed today. And all they have is what little scripture they have. In many places in China, you know, you would hear people, they would get a Bible and the first thing they would do is start tearing the Bible to pieces and giving everybody a page because that's how important they thought it was. To have some of the Bible, whether it was just one page, you know, but they needed the Word of God. And, you know, we get spoiled here in America, you know, sometimes we have trouble remembering to to read the Bible on a daily basis. There's people out there in this world that would love just to be able to have a piece of the Bible every day. And I'm not sure why God's putting this on it, but we need to get that place where we're saying it's important we need to get his word in our mind we need to spend time praying with him we need to get as much fellowship as we can right now because there's going to be a time when it's going to be hard it may just be around the corner that we will not be able to meet in this church that we have to meet in each other's homes just to be able to have any time with God important, we need to get there we need to think about it I've told people I expect fully to be in prison in sometime in the near future because of where I stand on homosexuality, transgender issues, what, I've, what I am on record for on the internet, having preached, that I could be in prison because of what I preach. <laughs> it happened in the past. It's going to happen again. It's happening in various parts of the world. Again, we've been spoiled in America, and times are going to change quickly. Mm -hmm. If we're truly at the end days, it's going to change very quick. And we need to be ready. We need to ready our hearts for those things that are coming. Let's close. I went way over, sorry. (laughs) Lord, we just thank you for this opportunity to come before you. We ask that you go with us as we look to seek you and to follow you. Lord, prepare our hearts for judgment. Prepare our hearts for the hard times that are come. Help us to learn your word. Help us to fall more and more in love with you so that when, when all these things happen, we will be ready to respond correctly. Go with us as we go out today. In your son's name, amen.